This is a Snow India production and you're listening to Dear Pari. Hi, I'm Priya and I'm Rakesh. We are the hosts of Dear Pari, India's first narrative podcast on child adoption. Hello and welcome to season 2 of Dear Pari. This podcast is being brought to you by Suno India, a multilingual podcast platform for issues that matter. Last September when we started this podcast, we had started it with the intention of creating awareness and breaking myths around adoption. We are so honored to have received so much love from all of you. This show crossed the 10,000 listener mark a while back and we are beyond thrilled. Not just that, we're incredibly touched to hear your feedback. on how the show has touched you all so once again before we start this episode thank you in season 2 of dear pari we will bring to you insights into nri adoption adoption trauma sibling adoption adopting children with different needs among other topics a quick disclaimer some of these interviews were recorded in november december of last year but are still very much relevant today do check out our other shows on sunoindia.in Dear Pari I can't believe you're almost 4. You know that Dear Pari is a podcast now. It's a different thing you don't know what Dear Pari is or what a podcast is. The first day of your school was a very emotional one for me. I couldn't put you down. I know you learn a lot of new things and enjoy them. But as a parent, I constantly fear how you will deal with other students. If you'll get hurt by someone's insensitivity, how someone might crack an adoption joke and hurt you unknowingly. As anxious parents, one of the questions that comes to our minds is do we tell her school that she's adopted? Does that matter to them? Or do we just keep it under wraps and talk about it when required? We reached out to Sangeeta Krishnamurthy, who's a teacher and founder of the Teachers Collective Bangalore. a conglomeration of teachers who want to reach beyond their classrooms work with children and make learning the fun experience it can be she has trained teachers in inclusion setting up trauma sensitive classrooms and consults with many schools in this episode of dear pari we discuss the role of teachers and schools in helping children who have been adopted navigate through the many questions they are asked Sangeeta also talks about the importance of honest and open communication with school authorities and teachers alike. So, uh my name is Sangeeta. I uh, live in Bangalore with my husband and two kids. Um we have a daughter who shares some genetic stock with us and a son who came to us through adoption and a puppy of course also adopted. Um so I I'm a accountant turned special educator because I actually found that as I was getting into uh reading about adoption and dealing with some of the difficulties we found uh we were dealing with I actually enjoyed um reading technical books accounting books would put me to sleep in a few seconds and this I actually got through books uh on special education so I went back and uh qualified to become a special educator and work with children who have autism difficulties and i end up doing a lot of uh, 
talking about adoption to teachers. I mean, pretty much anywhere uh, it's required, uh, in addition to the parenting adoption parts that we end up doing. Um, and, you know, one of the major concerns is, uh, do we tell the teacher, you know, about the fact that she's been adopted? And I think this is like a common um, thread among, I've seen among young parents who are just adopting is, um, do we tell, do we not tell? And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to get your sense on that, like your viewpoint. How do, do we tell and how, how far do we tell um, the teacher? All right. So uh, I'll tell you, honestly, I have actually gone back and forth. So I'm going to give you two sides to it and then a suggestion. It's pretty much up to anyone to uh, figure out what they want to do. So I started out completely open. We've told our kids, um, everyone around us knew we didn't do anything to be ashamed of. So there is no secret to this. Right. So we went with that whole thing. And my daughter was already in school. Uh, when my son came home. So the school anyway knew and my daughter was speaking about it. But since then, I have realized that it completely depends on the kind of school and the kind of teacher. So even if it is a school where, um, you know, it's it's an alternative type setup where most people are okay, you never know uh, the, the extent of the stigma that people carry. And I'll tell you one thing, most most teachers are very well-intentioned. You cannot be a teacher without, um, you know, really like going uh, beyond and over. Um, so I would never doubt teachers. It's just that our society does a very good job of misinforming everyone on adoption. We have movies made that are completely, uh, you know, talking about how it's so charitable and how this child is lucky. And those things end up sticking in people's minds. So what I think, um, so suppose you're going to get a good teacher one year uh, and then you get a teacher who doesn't think adoption is so great or who has their own, you know, um, twist to how these things happen or they, because of, of this filter of looking at a person through that, they say, oh, this must be because of adoption or that must be because of adoption. And normally good things don't get linked up to adoption. Um, it's always the stuff that they're not able to explain or what they consider not so good or slightly negative. So I Right now, I mean, we went the whole tell everyone way. And after a certain point, it's not even your choice because my kid is going to be quite open with it. He's actually done uh, workshops for kids and other adults on adoption when he was, I think, uh, six standard, seven standard equivalent. So for us, and, and I remember in fourth standard one time, he said, listen, it, this was a new school. And he said, Amma, in a circle time, I just wanted to close it. So I told them, listen, I'm adopted and I'm fine. And that was it. And it seemed to work for him. So I would suggest that you talk to a principal and tell them um, at some point. You might want to wait a little maybe for people to get to know the child for who she is or he is. And then talk to the principal uh, just, just to make sure that if there's any stigma, they know the kid before and there are times when there are assignments, but is it possible for us to inform the principal and see if the teachers in the school, if they are willing and interested in get someone external to come and talk to them on how, you know, uh, just like a, 
or regular professional training and have them look at adoption in that frame versus connected to your kid. So um, what I would suggest now again is that you talk to the principal and tell them maybe after four, five months that the child has joined the school. Um, and of course, in the meantime, if your child is going to go and speak and they're going to say, hey, she adopted, obviously this is there is nothing here to hide. But somewhere I feel like a little discretion uh, might be the, you know, the better part of valor. So say like the child gets bullied because he or she has said that oh hey I'm adopted and then you know children basically learn from what they hear what they see and it's not the greatest of examples anyway there are a lot of times adults are setting up when they talk about adoption um, so in such a scenario say um, in, in a class um, someone says something derogatory or you know not, not really derogatory but something negative about adoption how should the teacher react or cope and is there something that we as parents can also then you know sort of equip the teacher with on how to deal with it absolutely so uh, see one of the things that's critical is uh, for teachers to understand and know adoption reasonably well so to have someone um, say from a you know a trainer of some sort if we can get the school to actually go through and have just every teacher because you know it's not only our kid who's adopted there are different families um, these are things that impact many different I mean now we have stepmothers and stepfathers and we have uh, you know guardians and we have people traveling and single parents because of it or single parents by choice so different kinds of families are definitely something that is more than just adoption so to have someone come and speak about adoption and uh, inform teachers teachers and empower them is absolutely required. So I think as long as we work with uh, skills and empathy on both ends and not look at it just as an adoption related thing, but with our kids definitely work to say, this is it. These are the facts. Uh, Yes, you were adopted. What's the big deal? Do you have two hands, two legs, just like everyone else? And kind of um, help them understand that the way they join the family is not the be all and end all and that's not who they're going to be who they're going to be is very much their potential and how they take advantage of opportunities that are in front of them and what they're able to do so what can teachers do to promote positive adoption language and also like an atmosphere in the class so a lot of people don't know that um, one i think the importance and how like small words make a huge difference is not something people are very uh, aware of. So to tell them what is positive adoption language, to say that I am a natural mother, the child is not unnatural, to, to you know, the child is very much real and normal, uh, to say, oh, is it your own child? These are all things, I don't know, maybe sometimes it comes from our cultural context and we might be translating directly from, you know, uh, our native languages. That could be where it comes from. Uh, But for us to kind of, you know, as part of this trainer coming and talking to a bunch of teachers, make sure that they say that, listen, if I were to call you, uh, you are not my own or you are unreal or you're unnatural or you're abnormal. You're not going to like it. So when you're saying, is it your real mother? Who's your natural mother? uh, You are actually saying that the other side or there's something unnatural or unreal about it. So to tell them also words like abandoned, gave up. Uh, can we focus on the positive bits? Well, the child was found. Uh, they were placed in adoption. 
there was a plan, people cared enough uh, to make sure that this child was taken care of. And can we focus on that? Because that really is also the truth of it. And judging someone for not being able to stay and raise a child is really, you know, none of our business. Um, I think we could all imagine what level of distress it must have taken for any person to have put um put this child over themselves and to do uh, something that is so much better for them, for the child, even though that parent is not going to be in the picture. So I think to be very careful about being positive, not only about the child, but also the, uh, the birth or uh, the first mother and the first father. Is, is really important. The other things is is for just uh, people to look at it from a slightly more uh, a wider lens to say, what about then? Why do we have to call someone a stepfather? Why is it so important? Would I ever say, is that your cesarean born biological child? I'm not going to say that. So what difference does it make? And is adoption even relevant to be brought up here? Why should I go around saying, well, you know, it's an adopted child. Well, what is the relevance of that? And to kind of ask them to uh, look into and try to break their own um, thinking. But many people, they're not doing it because they are uh, actively trying to be malintentioned. It's just something that naturally they do. And we, we poke them a little and say, can you reflect on it? And many people will probably come around and say, well, I didn't realize I was doing it. Yeah, you're right. How do you think syllabuses need to be changed or, uh, you know, to, to become inclusive? Or do you think that's really not, that shouldn't really be the focus in that sense? So I'm coming from, you know, you have these projects about, you know, family trees and, um, you know, bring your baby pictures and not everybody might have it, right? So I'm just trying to get... Uh, get a sense from that angle like do you think the syllabus in that sense is include is inclusive so there's this uh, movement in education called universal design for learning which looks at the curriculum having the disability and that curriculums need to be changed in such a way that that umbrella fits as many people underneath it as uh, possible Right. So it's not possible to be 100 percent inclusive all the time, but for us to try to be at least 90 percent most of the time. So one of the things then that we can do for inclusiveness is to look at it from the perspective of someone, uh, you know, for I don't know, for grandparents day. Uh, what if grandparents don't live there? Can we have an option and say, you know, uh, someone who stands in the place of a grandparent just like that? Can we have instead of. Uh, so there are there are few things that people could really look at, um, things like make a timeline of your life. See, the good thing is school systems and curriculums are going away from very uh, conventional ways of saying, OK, this there is a father, there's a mother, mother cooks, father works. And, you know, so we are broadening. But as part of that broadening, when people get creative, sometimes it gets into these areas where they may not think through too much. Um, so for us to say, okay, make a timeline of your life uh, could could also include, um, you know, instead of saying this is where uh, I came here or bringing adoption into the picture, could we have things about skills? Well, you know, when I was one year old, I put, you know, a step in front. Um, I learned to cycle. This is when I learned to tie my shoelaces. Could very well be uh, also timeline related stuff. Instead of asking for, uh, uh, you know, a, 
a tree? Could we have a bush with a lot more space? Um, because think about what will happen if there's been a divorce in the family and then there are two sets of parents and then what does that make it? Four sets of grandparents, um, assuming, you know, uh, the maximum number. So we would like for children to have the space. The the picture, that photograph, the younger photograph, can we say, um, can you do bring a younger picture of yourself instead of saying a baby picture? Or say, you know what, can you just draw it? Either, either paste a picture or draw. And then when it comes to drawing, you know, the, the kid draws themselves as a baby, which is true. They were a baby at some point. We just don't always have documentation of exactly how they looked. There are also things like, uh, you know, as they grow older, we talk about blood grouping, get into genetics. Uh, these are all things for people to really kind of consider. Um, you know, go and bring your father's blood group, mother's blood group, and then watch your blood group. It, it may not technically work out. So for teachers to just be sensitive to say, all right, you know, this is it. And maybe even help that kid to say, okay, this is your blood group. So your parents' blood groups were likely to be this and this. And use that as an additional way of giving some identity related information to this kid who honestly most of the time has no idea uh, about their first mother and father from your experience how open are schools nowadays to talk about you know adoption or any other sort of you know whether it's special needs adoption autism anything um, how open do you think schools are becoming now you know i wish i wish i had um, something I could tell you that only this school does it best or doesn't. I honestly don't think um, any school really has it because we are talking about adults and people on the other end. So you can do some training, um, you can do enough for them to know, all right, if I come up to this situation, this is the person I go and ask and you can have people, um, you know, who can help them case by case. But for everyone to know everything enough to do everything great is, it'll be ideal, it'll be utopian and I hope my country gets there sometime or every country gets there sometime. We're talking about special needs, we also have to bring up something um, that many parents may not like to hear. One of which is that uh, the impact of uh, early childhood difficulties can show up later in life as some kind of uh, difficulty. It could be diagnosed level or it could be on different levels or it could be social or it could be how, you know, there are the core issues related to adoption that can keep coming up. I would like to think that if there are enough open parents who are adoptive who've gone ahead of you, that you can talk to and figure out, they might be able to give you. This will end up being very, uh, you know, uh, reference-based from parents. And then the one thing I have tried to do constantly is to, uh, you know, if it's not about talking to a specific teacher or if I've, we've always spoken to all our teachers, so they've known, and we they've come to us and then uh, I've been able to give them some help when it came to other kids. But then can we put information out and if there's some uh, adoption-related thing or can we share it uh, with the principal so that they can kind of see and inform themselves? Can we then be the people who walk ahead? Uh, for example, if your child is going to be two and a half, can you find parents who have walked this path and then they can maybe come and help instead of you going and having to uh, be completely open? Because after some time, your child may not want you coming and bringing that up in school. So uh, we're going to have to start co-opting them as well, right? And it's okay when they're two and a half, three, and we're doing this, but when they're six and seven or even later, and they're saying, you know, Omar, I'll handle it. 
I don't want to deal with this, then sometimes all we can do is support the ecosystem and then definitely actively support our kid and then take things as uh, they come. Um, can you perhaps expand a bit on the early um, the early trauma that children suffer from and something that I agree there's not a lot of um, literature or even conversations happening around it, but perhaps can you just take our listeners through it? So the one thing I'd like to make really clear that uh, parents get very defensive when we say, Adopted children have problems. Uh, it's not the adoption that is the problem. Adoption is the solution. And uh, that's going to be how we are going to get care to a child who needs it. But the fact that we were not there for uh, pretty much the entire pregnancy and we got into the life of this child at varying degrees, sometimes, uh, you know, under one year, sometimes afterwards, um, means that there there is stuff that has happened that we don't know and that is going to impact uh, this child through their life so we're talking about early childhood development related stuff uh, which is not our fault it's not the kids fault it's just how it ended up being so not trying to link adoption to difficulties but to understand that when a child has had um, uh, an early developmental phase that could have had hindrances. We know that when there is a hindrance at uh, those delicate times, uh, development does get hindered. So the only thing we can do is to make sure that we provide the love and the care and all of that and see as they go along, if they need help, we provide that help. We know now that uh, some of it gets biologically coded. Um, we know that epigenetically what happens to us changes the genes. They have they have scientific proof about this. Core issues related to adoption uh, are also well documented. So for a child who is adopted, things like transitions are difficult. Uh, definitely when they're going from something they like to something they don't like, but change, handling surprises, uh, not easy. When um, structure is there and routines are there, they feel safer, it helps. So if it's going to be a household where anything goes at all times, then that's not something that many children who need this kind of safety feel comfortable with. Um, so I think to adoption, inform ourselves about these issues, to make choices, that means I have to let something go, um, to give away stuff. Uh, all this is not easy for children. Um, we also have places where uh, in order to make us look at them the way they want, you know, in a positive way, children will lie and tell us what they want, they think we want to hear. So these are all things that we have to take in our stride and say, we've committed to parent this kid. Uh, we will take things as they come. And I would seriously suggest that Adoptive parents read up a lot about core issues. Uh, there's this lovely book called The Family of Adoption by Joyce Maguire Pavavo. Uh, she herself is an adopted person and a professional and has worked with uh, people for, you know, families for several years. And she's written this lovely slim book that talks about the triad, which is uh, the fact that the birth mother and father are there with us even when they're physically not there. Uh, children are thinking about them. And again, the fact that they're thinking about them is not that they want a different set of parents, but they want to know where they come from, their roots, their identity. Uh, it takes a secure parent to say, hey, listen, I'm doing my best and 
this child this i will be the only parent this child has but they do have a mother and a father and they have come from these things so we will handle that as we go along and to not be threatened by the fact that their child is asking questions well we want them to ask questions we want for um, you know as much stuff to get sorted out we want for things to be open because there is no secret we have not committed a crime right it's also not charity and we don't need to be put up on a pedestal it's just everyday parenting with all the difficulties that come with it if we had a biological child who had a health difficulty we would deal with it right so this is pretty much on the same level but i would suggest that uh we do a lot more of the stuff for example i wish i had known a lot more about deficiencies i had looked into um and made sure to find a pediatrician who understood uh not just prosperous middle class babies but also had a sense of you know um how development can look i might have wanted to continue uh, the supplement beyond what others you know pediatricians normally stop it i think at one and a half or two i might have wanted to supplement a little uh, for a little longer i definitely would have made sure that initially my disciplining was very positive timeouts uh, are some things to think about i know uh, for our culture we've gone from spanking to timeouts and it's a better thing but for a child who has been rejected that is one more rejection and i have felt at many times my son in his crying has gone back to a place that was not related to whatever little thing that he did so this is for us to uh, inform ourselves in order to understand this is not something uh, for us to feel bad about ourselves i don't know a parent who's not doing their very best so uh, acknowledging and reading up about this doesn't in any way diminish the work that we are doing it just informs us and makes us better parents Thank you for listening to the first episode of Dear Pari season 2. Before we end, we would like to tell you a bit about an upcoming podcast, The Lost Child on state of child care institutions. Here's the trailer. Hi, I'm Padma Priya. Last year I hosted Dear Pari, India's first podcast on child adoption. Oh my god it was so nice i can't tell you interviews are nice it is nice to you know hear people talk directly from heart and this year i'm going to dig deeper to understand how and why children come into these shelter homes and how their lives are shaped here now if our home has 50 children and uh, it's completely quiet for us that was a concern this is tarik a researcher who last year blew open the lid to one of the most tragic scandals involving children living in a shelter home what happens behind the walls of shelter homes for children in india who are these children who stay in these institutions for years together we will ask these and more questions in this podcast पुराने बच्चे में हमारे स्टार है विकी राय है हमारा जो फोटोग्राफर बना आज से सात आठ साल पहले सोनिया है फैशन डिजाइनिंग में वो तो अच्छा कर रही है इंजीनियर है विजय मंजुनाथ है अमित है थिएटर डायरेक्टर है हमारा पंकज जो बच्चा है वी विल ऑल्सो ब्रिंग टू यू सक्सेस स्टोरीज ऑफ चिल्ड्रन हु डिस्पाइट ऑल ऑर्ड्स वेंट ऑन टू बिकम सुपर स्टार्स इन देर ओन राइट अदर्स हुटोर्ड विद फैमिलीज बाई अथॉरिटीज यूजिंग टेक्नोलॉजी एंड समटाइम्स जस्ट बाई श्योर लक This is the Lost Child, a new podcast from Suno India, which will highlight the significant gaps in childcare system in India 
and how the lack of accountability on part of state and central government leaves children vulnerable to neglect abuse and long term separation from their family do subscribe to our newsletter on our website sunoindia.in to know as and when the show is launched as always i would like to thank team suno india for their support in putting together these episodes rakesh kamal a production lead for editing tarun nirwan a digital lead for technical support kunika balotra and vaishali pandian for research and reportage nikhil rao of indian ocean for original music and priyanka kumar for the incredible artwork Subscribe to Lino India.